All right, welcome to the Not Quite Compassion Podcast. This is episode number 17, entitled, Blessed Are the Meek. And we're working our way through the Beatitudes, these sayings of Jesus that invite us into becoming more human. Uh, and those are in the book of Matthew, chapter 5, if you want to read along. And this one is, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. All these things I've noticed, just like they invite us into a different way of living, like a countercultural, um, in the best sense of the word, like a, a truly a, a really good news, you know, that um, these things don't make us more Christian. They make us more human, which in turn make us more like Christ, <laughs> which I think is just interesting, but so true. Uh, and it's just a different economy that God is explaining. I'll get to that a little bit more later as well. But uh, this particular one, I think matters because it says, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And um, in my career in vocational justice work of, um, you know, caring about the needs, the social uh, needs of the world, um, whether it's sex trafficking or homelessness or addiction recovery or um, oppression, marginalization. That's what I'm studying in my doctorate, um, inequality, all these different um, aspects of injustice in our world. It is so damn easy to take yourself too seriously. (laughs) And you might like know a whole lot of stuff about refugee resettlement, but no one wants to invite you over for the Super Bowl, man. (laughs) because you're just like you're not a lot of fun and you're just kind of a Debbie Downer and you take yourself way too seriously and I've taken way too much of my life talking about what I do for a living and having no interest in what others do for a living even though what they do for a living pays for what I do for a living Um, man it's hard to even say that out loud honestly because it's true and um, the meek are not like that. They don't take themselves too seriously. They don't think of themselves as more important than others. The truly meek of this earth, um, they're they're different. They're so much better. There is this this like sense in vocational justice work that what we're doing or they're doing is the most important thing in the world. And, and, And because we think about it all the time and we read books about it all the time and we follow websites about it and we follow Twitter people about it all the time, we assume everyone else is thinking about it all the time and caring about it all the time. And the reality is, is if, if everyone, like we can't expect, it's an unreasonable expectation because not everyone can care about everything all the time. It just doesn't work that way. And we end up unintentionally making people feel like they're second class citizens around us just because they don't think about something as much as we do. And somehow we're the enlightened ones. And it's just not meek. In addition, um, what meek is not is it's not easily angered. I love how Paul Metzger, my prof, puts it. He goes in his book, Beatitudes, Not Platitudes. He goes, Jesus spoke up for what was right and just. He did not speak out regarding minor offenses or personal fancy. How do we know that we are not petty in our grievances, but profound. Isn't that like spot on? Like, holy crap, man. Does that not just speak to our culture today? Where, yeah, it's okay for me to be truly 
outraged and angered when I, I remember the first time I ever witnessed a girl being trafficked. Like that's something to get pissed about. It's not okay for me to get pissed at someone on Facebook and write some snarky comment on their Facebook feed because they support Trump. You know, that's not meek. <laughs> one is letting my grievances be profound, and the other one is letting my grievances be petty. And truly meek people know the difference between the two. Uh, and and this spills over beyond just like <laughs> social media, although, oh my gosh, is that just like a, a big part of it? Like, could we use some meekness on social media? I know I could, because uh, everyone's so certain that they're right about everything <laughs> and uh and we're just like clashing into each other and running by one another but we're not actually connecting with each other and and this can spill in into like how nonprofits function as well too you know our, our nonprofits can look like a bad social media account <laughs> or it's just like this this pattern of reacting to things you know uh, <laughs> that we become like this uh, reactionary rather than strategic and focused of what are we actually trying to accomplish with this nonprofit or what are we actually trying to accomplish with this life or are we just bouncing from one outrage to the next, reacting to the next media thing that's been induced or, and I'm not like anti-media, I'm actually not. I just don't know if that's a sustainable pace for my life. And I don't know if it leads to the kind of life that I actually want to live. I know for the very least, it is not meek to be constantly swayed like the wind on a sea. To be so easily angered and petty in my grievances. Uh, that I can go from one outrage to the next. And and. I don't know. Maybe it's a false nostalgia. It very well could be, actually. But it seems like to me, from my vantage point, that in our world, we used to have like one good solid outrage every few months, you know, whether it was like an earthquake somewhere else in the world or some kind of natural disaster or um, some kind of minor uh, skirmish broke out or war or um, remember Coney Comey 2012 remember that bad boy I was man I was at Bellevue Square with with uh, with Lincoln Coney 2012 I had the posters I bought it man and um, but that was somewhat sustainable right because it was like one big thing to care about at a time and, and lately it seems like that's moved to like one outrage every few months to one outrage every month to one outrage every week to one outrage like nearly multiple times a day. And I, I, I don't know about you guys. I just I can't I can't do that my whole life. I don't think the meek do that their whole lives. Instead, um, I think the meek are able to pan out a bit. And recognize that, oh, there's something to this, that there's a new hero and a new villain, that our society, we demand new heroes and new villains and new things to be angry about so quickly. It's because the existing hero and the existing villain, whatever it might be, it, it can't last as long as we want it to. So we have to create new villains and new heroes. And we just cre keep creating new ones because the old ones don't last. 
And I wonder, I wonder if it's because we're forgetting about the plot. That the reality is there is only one hero. And there is only one villain. That um, there is Jesus Christ and there is the enemy of this world. And I don't, I'm not someone that thinks there's a demon under every rock. I just don't have any other answer for evil except that there is something beyond what I cannot see. You know, there is, there is a force out there that is evil. And, um, and it, it, it's so much more constructive for me to direct my outrage towards that rather than individuals. Or as Ephesians chapter 6 puts it far better than me, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. But against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That that keeps me from bouncing from one outrage to the next and constantly needing a new hero and a new villain. And it maybe even keeps me from a sense of outrage fatigue. I guess what I'm trying to say is um, that meekness is a sense of poise, that it's this um this devoted activism partnered with relentless trust i see it exemplified really well in the prophets throughout the scriptures that they were like so fiercely critical of the church and about unjust systems and yet they never lost their hope guys and you read them these prophets in the old testament and they just they never lost their hope amidst their like enormous criticism martin luther king who we just celebrated this last weekend is a great example martin luther king was like fiercely critical of um unjust systems and racial inequality and oppression and then he even moved on when he, in the letter to the birmingham in the birmingham jail he wrote this letter and he was like basically saying it was towards the end, like it was towards like there was a glimmer of hope about the civil rights movement happening and that black and brown people in America were going to start actually seeing some significant steps forward towards um, equality. And and King in, in the Birmingham jail wrote this letter that basically said like, I'm not okay with black and brown people getting justice in America if black and brown people around the world are still not feeling justice. Like he basically was making a letter against the Vietnam War. And his own people were like, no, 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 King, don't cloud the issue, man. Don't do that. Like, they were against him broadening. I mean, what a prophet. He just was so fiercely against injustice. He was so far ahead of his time. We're still not there, guys. We still don't care about black and brown people around the world. And yet King was, and yet King was also tremendously hopeful. And he always decided to err on the side of love. He always believed that love would win. He never gave in to hate. He was meek. I mean, he epitomized the sense of poise. He's critical and yet hopeful. Activist and yet trusting. It's like someone that, um, not the annoying person, but like the nice person that watches a movie with you, but they've already seen the movie. And they kind of get captured into the movie, just like you do, right? But they've seen the movie, but they don't ruin the movie. I don't want to be the kind of person that ruins the movie, you know? <laughs> They're like, I don't want to be that kind of activist. It's like, well, it's all, 
it's all going to go to hell anyway. Like, no, I, I, I want to have hope. I want to be, and yet I still want to be in, in, enraptured by the plot. I want to be concerned about the characters. I want to be invested in the plot. But I never want to lose the idea of, of the awareness of how the story actually ends. I want to pan out and recognize my fight is not against flesh and blood. There, there are rulers in this world and there is a God that's above it all. And maybe that's what it means when in Hebrews when it says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Because I want to please God through my vocational justice work and caring for people that are homeless. We're just rolling out this mobile uh, food bank here these next few months. And I'm so excited about it. And I, I hope it pleases God. But I, I, I'm pretty convinced that what he's really pleased about is a, a contrite heart and a broken spirit and someone that's meek. And it's hopeful that trusts, that doesn't lose his faith. It still is aware of how the story will end. This certainly is who Jesus is. At least this is how he explains himself. He goes in Matthew chapter 11. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. See, meekness is the strength that's brought under control, according to Jackson. It's this quiet confidence. And ultimately, I think the way we serve others is usually a reflection of how we believe we've been served. You know, like, if I'm going to constantly move from one outrage to another, does it reflect upon the idea that I think God is outraged? That that's how he is. If I'm going to constantly just react to things and fly off the handle and just get easily pissed and easily angered, is that only a reflection of how I think God is? That God gets easily angered and he's going to fly off the handle. And if I say anything wrong, if it wasn't for the blood of Jesus covering me, he would lose his shit and I would be dead and smited in the moment. If it wasn't for Jesus being the advocate that steps in front of me as a good lawyer and God that was on the behind the jury or like in a judge thing and he's about to drop down the gavel and sense me to eternal damnation but jesus as a good lawyer says no not this one and then the judge the angry pissed off judge who is god is like no okay i won't do it this time you're free to go i mean that's my picture of god and is that why i picture others in the same exact kind of way or is this actually good news <sighs> Because I think God is meek. I think that's why he's inviting us to be meek. Because I think he's meek. And a meek God doesn't fly off the handle on you. He's not an abusive parent to his only son. Imagine how... Imagine how messed up... (laughs) You like my control there? Try to be meek. (laughs) Imagine how messed up that is. And how that influences the way we see others... If we think our God is a father that's an abusive dad that would fly off the handle on his only son so that we could be okay. I don't know if that's good news anymore. I see some pictures of that in the Bible. I, I just don't know if that's the picture of who God is. I, I don't know how I can trust that kind of God, frankly. Uh, there's a different way of looking at the cross. And it's all throughout scripture as well. And I think it seems more like good news. I think it looks like meekness. And um, it's just uh, the, the, the official theological term for it is Christus Victor. 
It's this view of atonement and all these different atonement theories, these views of what does the cross actually mean <laughs> are just theories. They're called atonement theories for a reason because honestly, the cross um, describes something to us more than it prescribes. Like it, it brings us in to this incredible story where we are captured by the plot and we're so enthralled by how it ends. Like that's what changes us, right? So let me say that with a grain of salt. But... Uh, um, there's been some work done on this and it's been called the cruciform Aikido in which um, through the crucifixion in short God ingeniously turned evil back on itself and triumphed over it the cross is the ultimate example of poise and strength under control uh, what what I, I believe what happened is what you see in Narnia right in, um, in the chronicles of, of um of uh, what is the Chronicles of Narnia? Yeah, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Uh, I'm losing my steam, guys. Okay, come on. So in that story, you see um, that Aslan has been captured by the White Witch, and um, and he, he he is uh, tortured and killed by her. Right, but it's uh, it's because she, because she wasn't aware of the deeper magic, right, that was happening in in As in uh, Narnia. Um, that's the very um, violence and um, rage that she puts towards Aslan to kill him actually turns on itself and destroys death itself. Like it destroys her power in the world for forever. And it resurrects Aslan back from the grave. So it wasn't God who killed Aslan or wasn't God who kills Jesus. It's the enemy who kills Jesus. And in this cruciform Aikido, he turns it around on itself and destroys death itself. That that's my problem when it comes to a forgiveness of sins. If it's really a debt that has been forgiven, then why does it need to be paid for? You know what I mean? Does that make sense? If it was a debt that was forgiven, why does it need to be paid for? And so we treat this um, picture of the cross of the picture of God, like, like somehow there's like this evil mob boss out there that's like demanding this payment and we can't afford it. That's our sin. Right. And that Jesus comes in and he pays the, uh, pays the mob boss off. Right. And we think that's good news. I'm suggesting what good news is as he turns that payment in on itself, the violence of that system, he completely upends and, 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 and so that there's no more dollar at all. Like it no longer exists. The currency, the economy is completely and utterly destroyed. So the mob boss now has no power over us because there's no money for him to collect because there is no currency that exists anymore in our world. That is the forgiveness of sins. That is the destruction of all that is wrong in the world and evil. There is no more power. That is ultimate freedom in Christ. And that's really, really good news. And that's what I see in this meekness. That's what I see in all the Beatitudes is like this like really, really good news. This completely different economy that's like Jesus is inviting us into like, hey, you keep trying to pay with this money. And I'm telling you, that money doesn't exist. You're just giving paper to people and you're giving your good deeds and you're trying to ask for forgiveness. And I'm just saying there's, it's, it's been destroyed. It is actually 
actually finished. It no longer exists. And you keep paying into the system and investing into this economic system. And it just doesn't, it's not there anymore. It's pretend. It's a lie. I killed it. It's gone. I turned its power on itself. That's, I think, what meekness looks like. I think that's how a meek God would approach the cross. And I think that ultimately determines how I treat others. That I seek to serve others because I'm working from a totally economic system that's, that's foreign and yet so much more real. And I also allow it to, to others to serve me because I don't, I'm not keeping score anymore. Right? There's no pride in insisting to never receive. There's no pride in serving. There's just no economy to speak of. And I think that's what health comes from. I think that's where meekness is born. It's choosing to live by a different economic system. So, let me wrap this up. Let me land this plane real quick. Uh, the other day uh, at the Iskwa Food and Colony Bank, I was working uh, during the day, and we had our uh, shopping hours were open. So um, we had clients that came in to shop um, from our food and clothing bank. And I was in the back kind of helping people restock things. And so we, it's just like any other grocery store. It just looks nice to have nice full shelves of fresh fruits and vegetables and meat and deli products and dairy products and non-perishables. And so it's, it's pretty crowded. We've seen an increase since the government shutdown for sure. And there was this nice um, woman that was coming through, and um, and I was uh, I can kind of see her because I was in the back. She was like in the in line, and and, and uh, I caught a glimpse of her kind of catching eye with me. And so I, you know, that doesn't happen very often. So I kind of just paused for a second, and she like lifted up her hands to show me, and she had like all this stuff on her hands, like something something gross. So I immediately stopped what I was doing, put my box down. I think, I think I had a crate of milk or something. I put it down, raced over, and I looked over the little railing thing. And, and she's got, like, all this cottage cheese on her hands. And she's, like, and she's still got the the, the broke half-broken package of cottage cheese, like the container, you know, that kind of cheap plastic. She's got it in her hands. And she's, like, hey, do you have a towel or something I can use to clean up things? And I said, yeah, sure. So I raced and got some paper towels and came back and gave her some. And as I opened up the little gateway to see kind of the floor of the of the um, shopping area, I had noticed that the she had clearly dropped the cottage cheese container and it cracked a bit. So she picked it back up to kind of make it so it wouldn't continue being messy, but there's still a mess on the floor. So I get down on the floor right away with the, some more paper towels and start cleaning up this cottage cheese on the floor. And she gets down on her knees with me and she goes... She looks at me and she goes, she goes, it's my mess. I'll clean it up. And and I said, no, 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 it's okay. I'll I'll help. It's no, it's no problem. And so I continue to kind of help and and clean things up with her. And after we kind of both cleaned up this mess of cause cheese on the floor, we get up and I I reach to take the broken container of cause cheese from her. And she says, uh, she goes, she goes, I broke it. I'll keep it. And I said, no, ma'am, ma'am, please let me get you a new cause cheese. And she said, no, I'll, I broke it. I'll keep it. And I said, well, if, if there's one more in the back, could, if, if, if I see one, could I at least bring it out to you? And, and, um, and she, she didn't say anything. So I, I raced in the back and I went into the cooler, the walk-in cooler. And I, um, I don't pray as much as I, as I used to, but I prayed really quickly and I just said, um, I just said, God, like, please let, let there be another cause cheese container back here for her. 
and I and I, like I tell you, it's crazy. Like I look down, and literally there's like one just sitting, like not even a crate, it's just sitting on the shelf. So I grabbed it, and I raced back out of the cooler and to her, and I present her this cause she's that's that's not broken, and she said she goes, no, I broke it, so I'll keep it. And I, you know, at that point, I didn't want to force her, you know, of course, and so I didn't really know what to do. But she's got this like half broken container that's still leaking cottage cheese, and it's like on her hands again. And so I just gave her a few more paper towels, and um, and she, that was it. Um, and that's us sometimes. I wonder that, you know, with God. It's my mess. I'll clean it up. I broke it, so I'll just keep it forever. And I'll keep walking around with this that doesn't make sense anymore to hold this. Whatever it might be. Like if it's a a broken relationship or a broken dream. If it's the mess of um, of a, a pathway or a career path or a hope or a goal that you had and it just became a mess... Or maybe it's just a lot of mistakes that you've just wound up and you keep lying to cover up the mistakes and it keeps getting worse. And it's like, it's my mess. I'll clean it up. And it isolates you because the more messy it gets, the more embarrassed you get and the less you want to tell anyone about it. So the more isolated you become, it's my mess. I'll clean it up. I broke it. I'll keep it. And I just, I'd like you to imagine a different economy. Because that's not meek. And that's not God. That's not actually who he is. He is a God that's meek. That is um, strength brought under control. Like he is wonderfully strong. But he is not violent. And he is not easily angered. He is gentle and he is humble. And he invites us into a similar way of trying to be human. A better story that gives us the hope that we know how it ends and it ends with you in his arms it ends with you being forever loved it ends with you finally giving up the brokenness and the mess of our lives because we're not meant to take care of it on our own don't get me wrong i i believe in what sin is but i also think sin is its own consequence and some of us have faced the consequences of our sin and we try to fix it ourselves. And I, you were never meant to fix it yourself. We're all a, a mess. And, and, and we do need someone to come and help. But it, it, it requires us imagining a different way of living. Where there is someone that is no longer keeping score. And I think that makes me meek. Because that means I stop keeping score. And, um, and it makes me more human. And it makes me like someone that's seen the movie. Is invested in the characters. Cares deeply about the plot. But knows how it ends. So may you experience this kind of grace this week. 
May you decide to live by a different kind of economy. Would you stop paying with a currency that does not exist anymore? When Jesus hung on the cross, he actually meant it. It is finished. He has stopped keeping score. So we should as well. May you experience this grace, my friends. Okay? And uh, may we trust a God that really is meek and offers truly good news. I'll see you next week. We'll keep going through the Beatitudes. I just love the way, what they invite us into. It is so much better than what I thought it was. Amen? All right. The podcast you just heard was made using Anchor. Ever thought about making your own podcast? Anchor makes it really easy for anyone to get started. It's a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, and distributing podcasts. Best of all, it's 100% free. Sign up now at anchor.fm slash new. That's anchor.fm slash new to get started.